Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, experts are warning about social media ahead of the upcoming election. Can you tell real news from fake? Air Canada is investigating how a woman was left on a plane sleeping after everyone else got off. And the Premier's Chief of Staff has resigned. Is this a reset for the Ontario PCs? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, Experts warning about social media ahead of the upcoming election. There have been uh, lots of angst and effort to prevent manipulation uh, by domestic and foreign manipulators. But social media has become, or it appears social media has become very easy prey. Can we police it? Uh, are, Are we even going in the right direction? You know, we're talking so much about this. How does this not make more people aware of it? So in other words, we heard so much about fake news and and alternative sources and such. Now, with with the tech savviness that we all have, don't we know where the stuff's coming from, where we're that we're reading or is that we don't care and, you know, we just want stuff that's like us. So I don't want to hear anything that ain't like me. Because you'd think we know so much about this, people would be extra sensitive. Isn't it easier to educate the public on how to identify this as opposed to stop it? I mean, it's like uh, internet scams or phone scams. You know, they're really hard to trace, really hard to fix, really hard to catch the perpetrators. So they just try to educate everybody on it. So, you know, when you see something, you might question it. And shouldn't you question everything you see? You don't have to be a conspiracy, a conspiracy theorist, a theorist, but, you know, you should have looked left and right before you crossed the road, no? So I'm wondering if it's even possible to do this and if, the, if just with all this chatter about it, is that enough? Or do we need to police this sort of thing? Uh, Duff Conagher is with us, co-founder, uh, uh, co- uh, sorry, co-founder of Democracy Watch, adjunct professor, University of Ottawa, and on the line with us now. Duff, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Duff, we hear so much about this. We've heard so much about this since the last election, so much speculation about it going into the next election. Are we attacking this problem the right way? Is it something we can police, or is it something we educate? No, it needs to be policed. That's what all the experts say. And unfortunately, the liberals have actually weakened the rules and made it uh, more legal to make false claims about candidates with a bill that they passed uh, recently called Bill C-76. And uh, they've, they've punted it to the next uh, government. Said that explicitly, the Minister for Democratic Institutions, Karina Gould, a couple of weeks ago, said the next government will have to assess what the social media companies do and decide whether regulation is needed. Even though every expert has been calling for regulation now for two years, and most recent report coming from the Transatlantic Commission on Elections Integrity for the Alliance of Democracies Federation and the Center for International Governance and Innovation. That's a report that uh, was released just on uh, about 10 days ago. And Democracy Watch has a letter-writing campaign, and thousands of people have written the federal party leaders calling for it, and the Liberals just decided to roll over and, and not do anything that's really going to be effective. Um, why is this not happening if there is so much evidence, if people are coming to or drawing the same conclusions here, if it's not even questionable in my first question that is this about education or is this about regulation, um, why hasn't anything been done? Because it doesn't seem to benefit anyone, and anything you may gain, you could lose the opposite way. You really have to ask the liberals. I mean, in terms of your, your first question, is education enough? It's not because... To know that something's fake news, you'd have to be an expert in the area. Right. And no one can be an expert in every area. So everyone gets fooled by something. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and also, it's sometimes not a matter of expertise. It's just a matter of, hey, this seems plausible. And, and uh, I, I remember I saw one in my Facebook feed. 
back during the uh, 2016 presidential election in the U.S., uh, a uh, post had this clip that looked like it was from People magazine, an interview with Donald Trump from like 1979, which is not really traceable. Yeah, saying that uh, he would always run for the Republicans or because the Republicans were easier to fool than the Democrats. Mm-hmm. Turns out that's a fake post, but it all sounded plausible to me. Yeah. And Facebook didn't take it down, and they didn't actually discover lots of fake posts on their uh, on Facebook until two years after the U.S. presidential election. That's not really helpful <laughs> two years later when someone's trying to influence an election. So it's not, not sometimes a matter of expertise. It's just not being able to double-check something because it's a claim about something that happened long ago that's not registered on the Internet and that sounds plausible. So that's why we need the regulators there and the social media companies required to report every post to the regulators that's election-related so that it can be reviewed and removed if it's false. And the person who posted it charged with making a false claim. Hmm. Um, because if you allow just And are these, politics, easy, are these easily traceable, Duff? Is it something that we can get a handle on, in your opinion? Well, uh, radio stations know the ads they run. And TV stations know the ads that they run, and, mm. and newspapers as well, and, uh, and uh, regular media. And they also know the people they interview and the claims that they make. Yeah. And Elections Canada can watch all of those pretty easily. Well, these uh, social media companies, you want to be a media company. Sorry, you have to follow the rules of media, mm. which means you're responsible for what's posted uh, in terms of libel, slander, and violations of election laws. And if you can't regulate it, like Google has decided, we cannot watch this and report it. So we are not going to allow political ads during the election campaign period in Canada. That's what Google's decision has been. That's fine. If you can't do it, then don't have the ads. And if you're going to do it, then the system should be, which it isn't, uh, because the Liberals didn't do what all the experts were calling for, system should be that you have to report everything to Elections Canada so that they can check into it and take complaints about it and and be empowered to order you to delete it. And they're not empowered to do that. And the social media companies don't have to report um, all posts. They only have to re- set up a registry of ads. So on, And that's not going to really help because on Facebook, there'll be one page you can go to with all the political-related ads, and even if they're false, they'll be up there, and that'll make it easy to share all sorts of false posts because hmm. you go to one page now, and you'll see them all, and you can just click on the ones you like. That's not solving the problem. That's actually just amplifying false claims. We remember since uh, day one of the Internet, uh, it sort of has been a Wild West mentality. Uh, it's sort of the last bastion of, of free enterprise with not much, if any, regulation and such. And we've been talking for a long time about getting a better handle on somehow regulating or policing the internet. Has political advertising just become the catalyst for this? Is it something that we can more zero in on and everybody jump on board and be in agreement on? Well, in, in terms of action, um, it's more been hate speech, which is dishonest speech, right? Yeah, yeah. It's false claims about people and it's inciting hate. And the analogy to that in an election is false claims about candidates or parties or um, people running for election or those opposing them. Um, It may not be inciting hate, but it's trying to get you to switch your vote away from them or towards them. And uh, it's very dangerous because if it affects enough voters, it pushes an election in a direction that uh, is a false result, like in Brexit, the referendum in Britain. So, The U.S. presidential election in 2016 and the Brexit referendum are really the ones that have spurred this in terms of the interest in political ads, because both both were dominated by false claims, uh, and and seem to have, from all the surveying that's been done since, seem to have affected the result. And it's just very dangerous. It makes the election uh, unfair, 
and not. But it, it seems it seems to be that political ads on the internet is something that has got our attention on this. Perhaps Very much so because our elections coming up. And yeah, there's yeah. Been this big push. Now, I mean, you, you know? even you even look at you know mass shootings where uh, you know the whole Christchurch shoot, shooting, which was which was uh, streamed live as it was going down. I mean, there's another issue very similar to the same thing that we're talking about, but it, but but different. Yet it seems to be political ads that are, I guess, mobilizing people into into perhaps coming together on this. Do you get that sense? Uh, yes, in terms of uh, yeah, it's it, it, it's the false nature of them. Whereas there's much more debate about whether something is amounts to hate speech or is just someone's view. But when you're making a false claim about a candidate uh, that's derogatory, they're not going to get a libel lawsuit done by the time Election Day runs around. And, and it's difficult. This is not easy to do because elections are this special six, seven-week period. And then it's over. And you can't really go back and say, oh, to ask a judge after the fact, say, go back and figure out why people voted the way they voted is almost impossible to do because you don't know it's a secret ballot so you don't know whether someone's telling the truth about the way they voted or 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 why they voted that way and so it puts a judge in a very difficult position after the fact which is why a lot of resources have to be put into preventing false posts and removing them if uh, they are found during an election and unfortunately bill c76 actually goes in the opposite direction it, what's uh, the reasoning all, for that? Can, what, what, what's the Liberals' reasoning for that? Like, wouldn't this cross I, I all party know. lines? You, you have to ask them. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have an answer. It does not make sense to me. They spent months and months saying, we expect the social media companies to do the right thing. We expect the social media yeah. companies to do the right thing. The social media companies, like any company, yeah. will do the right thing when there's a clear rule requiring them to do something, mm-hmm. and the penalty is much greater than any profit they'll make from violating that yeah. rule. Otherwise, they're interested in shareholders, not, not being good. Yeah, Exactly. And so they actually, the Liberals actually weakened the rule against false claims on candidates. It is now more legal to make a false claim because it used to be you couldn't say anything about the conduct or character of a candidate that was false. And now you can say things as long as it's not about whether they have a, a degree in education or, or a certain professional qualification or whether they have been convicted of a, of a crime or violation of a law. You can't make false claims in those areas, but you can make other false claims about their character or conduct, like that they're racist or that they're mm-hmm. homophobic or something. And, and those false claims are now legal. And you also have to prove that the person's making the false claim to affect the outcome of the election, which the enforcer, who's called the Commissioner of Canada Elections, as well as the head of Elections Canada, both testified before the Senate and House committees and said, we'll never be able to prove uh, that someone's posted something to, in order to affect the election if they don't include in their post that they you know, don't vote for this person because. Mm-hmm. Right? But if they just say it, yeah. like during the by-election out in, in Burnaby, the Jagmeet Singh one, there was a post that was put up saying that he owned a huge mansion in Brampton and, of co- and didn't care about the little people as a result and questioned him because he's this hugely wealthy guy. It was mm-hmm. false. It didn't say don't vote for him. It yeah. just said that, right, to cause doubt about whether this guy was actually someone who cared about people or was some rich elite who was out of touch with people. And um, that t- took months afterwards to uh, track down who posted it and follow up on it. And it was up there for the whole by-election period. Well, if that happens to a whole bunch of candidates in this election, it's definitely unfair. It's undemocratic. It's dishonest. And the system the Liberals have set up will not stop it. How do you think Canadians feel about this? Do we want to know the truth, or do we just want to be around people that think like us? Uh, Well, I don't think anyone wants to be fooled, and that's what everyone should think about. Mm -hmm. My vote may be affected by something that's false. Mm. I don't think a lot of people want that. They may favor... Do they try to justify it in another way, though? Um, Yeah, I mean, they may not care about things that uh, uh, are false about candidates they don't like. Yeah. But what if they get fooled by something about their candidate and switch their vote, the the candidate they favored, because it seems so convincing? That's what everyone should think about, is that it could be aimed at the candidate you favor and cause them to lose the election. Do you want that? Is that fair? Well, if that's not fair, 
then it's not fair to any other candidate to have that same thing happen to them. So that's what everyone should be thinking about. And and the difficulty of going back after an election and trying to get the election result reversed because of that unfairness. It's almost impossible to prove that the unfairness affected how people voted. And that's why it needs to be prevented so that it does not undermine an election and leave questions as to whether the election result was accurate. Will we be able to do anything for this fall election? Is it too late for that? It's now too late. Parliament's closed. I mean, a month ago, we we made one last appeal to the Liberals and said, you know, just do this one quick bill. They could have changed just a few things in the Election Act. It would have been a one to two page bill, could have been passed through the House and Senate very quickly and would have made the fall election much more fair and honest and democratic. And instead, actually, everything the Liberals have done is going to make the uh, add up to the election being much more like the U.S. presidential election and the Brexit referendum. All right, dominated Duff, by false ads. We've got just under a minute left. Uh, let me ask you this: What advice do you have for voters as they go into this next election period? I think the media, more than ever, are going to be doing reality check uh, articles, where they'll be looking at posts, they'll be looking at ads, claims by the parties and candidates, uh, because they realize that that Elections Canada isn't really empowered with the information or the powers to stop this stuff. So a good thing to search on the internet for is reality check federal election. And just look at them all. Look through them all because the media will be there delving in, talking to experts and and, and making uh, uh, conclusions as to whether something was uh, an accurate claim, an accurate promise, a realistic promise or not. And you really should take that time to uh, check the things that you've seen, and that's probably going to be the best way to do it. Could be better if the Liberals had done what needs to be done, but that, that'll that be the best that, we, that voters can do. Duff Conacher has been with us, co-founder of Democracy Watch, adjunct professor, University of Ottawa. Thanks so much, Duff, for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. Take care. Uh, talking about uh, confusion and surrounding uh, misinformation and just general fake news that comes across uh, the Internet and our ability or lack thereof to police it. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Joe, uh, Joseph Yermenian. He is the president of Thermodyne Engineering, director of the Ontario Space Aerospace Council, and is with us now. Joseph, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome, Scott. So, Joseph, what is the protocol when a plane comes in and lands and uh, then taxis up to where it's dropping the passengers off? What's the protocol when you shut it down? Uh, protocol is that uh, at least the uh, hostesses uh, will look around to see if uh, anything was uh, misplaced, anything forgotten to be picked up, and so on. And I'm surprised this uh, about this situation that if someone uh, sitting in the middle of the airplane strapped and uh, sleeping, most probably uh, some uh, if it, uh, if she's uh, strapped, she her head should have been straight up. or maybe bent a little bit, so her body would show from so many uh, distances. uh, Yeah, even from the front of the plane, you'd be able to see somebody's head. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, if uh, everybody is gone, uh, the stewardess should have noticed uh, her, unless she's uh, uh, sleeping on the floor, which uh, actually it's uh, funny. Uh, The last time I was on an airplane, there was a sign saying that do not sleep on the floor. I've seen people do that with I've seen people do that with kids, and you just go, "Holy smokes! Right, what right. are you doing?" Uh, even kids yeah. uh, could do that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's one situation. The second situation is that uh, uh, cleaners and uh, they should have uh, come yeah. and cleaned the airplane for the next flight. I mean, they should have uh, seen somebody uh, sleeping. Uh, but uh, unless uh, they did not clean the airplane right. uh, so that they will clean it afterwards uh, mm-hmm. before the, the next flight. So uh, I'm surprised about the situation. Uh, like uh, I, I'm still wondering how this could have happened. So once the plane is, uh, everybody is off the plane and the service people have finished doing what they're doing, what do they do with the plane? Like if it's not being used, where does it yeah, go? What do they, they do? Tax- 
They taxi in uh, wherever uh, they are allowed, like uh, uh, like uh, when you park your car somewhere in the garage. Yeah. So they taxi the airplane, and uh, that's it. Then uh, the pilot uh, and the co-pilot, whoever uh, is in the plane, they come off and they uh, go away. And uh, that's the situation where uh, uh, definitely uh, the <clears throat> the airplane cannot taxi uh, on the runway. So it could have been at the port that uh, it uh, it landed, uh, where the all the passengers uh, came off. It could stay there, or they could have taken it uh, to another location within the airport, uh, where uh, the airplane uh, stays overnight. Uh, do you find it odd for someone to be asleep through this whole process? Yes, uh, that's another uh, thing is that when the airplane uh, lands, uh, there's a big shock, I think. Yeah, it, uh, wakes that up, usually wakes, wakes up most up of the people up, yeah. <laughs> exactly, it wakes up everybody. So I'm surprised that uh, within that short period of time, and especially if it is 90 minutes, so half of it is 45 minutes, in 45 minutes, she was uh, completely, completely uh, asleep. Yeah. So that's another uh, issue I'm, uh, which I'm surprised that she uh, did not wake up uh, from that shock and also uh, from the uh, announcement of the airplane saying that, thank you. We, and, we and, just the, and just the commotion and, of people leaving a plane. Right, right, yeah. and people, especially in the middle, uh, when uh, she's sitting yeah. in the mi- somewhere in the middle of the airplane, uh, the back uh, of the uh, the passengers that uh, were seated at the back of the, uh, her seat, they should have noticed that this woman is mm. uh, sleeping. So that's an, another surprise to me, saying that nobody noticed, nobody yeah. woke woke her up. Uh, so yeah. that's a complete surprise to me. Wow. So what would this experience have been like for this woman to have woken up on a plane? I guess it was around midnight after it was parked. Right. Uh, If that was uh, the case, definitely uh, it was the case. I mean, uh, she should have been frightened and uh, cold. And uh, I'm glad that she was able to find us. um, a flashlight in the cockpit, which I'm surprised that uh, she was able to get into the co- uh, cockpit and find the flashlight in the middle of the dark mm-hmm. darkness, uh, which there is no light uh, in the cockpit. So uh, that's uh, something that, again, uh, it's a surprise to me. So uh, I know uh, it, it's very frightful, uh, like uh, being... Uh, being in a jail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and over and above what this passenger went through, because that obviously seems to be the focus, is what this yes. passenger went through. But yes. you brought up another point. Uh, what about security? Um, you yes. know, you were surprised that this woman who was locked inside the plane could get right. into the cockpit. Exactly. You know, you'll have to wonder if somebody... Uh, with perhaps not, you know, uh, with some nefarious reasons, decides to get on a plane, could somehow get on and and take it over. I mean, I'm not sure they could have moved the plane or started it up or anything. Uh, but you still, you got to wonder if you know y- people can come on and off aircraft this way. Uh, no, she can uh, She could not have uh, come out uh, of the airplane. But uh, if she had access, uh, uh, that's another thing. Thing that I'm surprised that she had access to the cockpit. And yeah. the cockpit touching something could uh, end up in a disaster or uh, malfunction of the airplane or something because it's forbidden to the public to get into the uh, to the cockpit. Yeah. Uh, I know during the flight that cockpit door is completely locked even for uh, the uh, uh, hostesses. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was surprised that the cockpit door was left open because uh, the cleaners will come and uh, clean the airplane and uh, they could cut uh, get uh, easily to the cockpit. So that's another mystery that she was able to get into the cockpit and find a flashlight in the dark. So even oh. if a plane is stored and parked, this, the, the cockpit door is supposed to be locked? Supposed to be locked, yeah, yes, yeah. because you never know what mm-hmm. uh, uh, what could happen. As I said, someone may get into uh, the cockpit, may push a button and start the engine or something, or miss... Uh, uh, mismanage the uh, the function of the airplane. So this is a security issue for them as much as it is a customer service issue for them. 
Uh, I think it's both uh, customer service that uh, if uh, that was the case, uh, they should have uh, uh, checked the airplane uh, because many, uh, many times people leave uh, something uh, behind. They forget to right. take it or uh, even a, a luggage or something. At least uh, they could have uh, checked the airplane and taken the item uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the airport. So things like that uh, they should have uh, looked after. And also security, unless uh, if the uh, cockpit door was uh, left uh, open. So at the end of the day, is it one person's responsibility on the crew to take one final look through the plane? Uh, Normally they do it uh, collectively. Like uh, you have the uh, hostesses, maybe two or three. uh, uh, I don't know how many there were. At least uh, there should have been two hostesses. And also the pilot, co-pilot, they should have uh, at least looked uh, through the the airplane. uh, And if uh, a head shows up, then uh, they say, okay, wake up. Uh, We uh, we have landed. Uh, Get off the airplane. So is it uh, what is the pilot's responsibility here is it the hostess's responsibility to go through the plane or is it the pilot before he gets off or is his job just to land the plane and once I've signed off I'm out the door before I the passengers the, it's the hostess's responsibility to uh, check uh, everything uh, because the pilot's are, uh, and co-pilot's uh, responsibility is to fly the airplane right safely so uh, it's not necessarily a pilot could easily get off before the passengers do, or is the it's pilot supposed to? Is the pilot supposed to be the last one off the plane? Yes, yes, yes. He is, yes. or she is. I shouldn't say that. He or she is. Right. Yes. Uh, but uh, that could have been the case. Hmm. Uh, that uh, I mean, unless the case that the pilot and the co-pilot they just left uh, the airplane. Uh, right. That's uh, it. Could happen also. So but the responsibility is uh, for the. The hostess is to check the airplane. Right. So if you're Air Canada, what are you yes. doing today? What do you... I, uh, yeah, Air Canada will investigate uh, all uh, everything that I said. Uh, what were the hostesses doing? How was the woman sleeping? Uh, how did she not wake up from all these noises yeah. when everybody else was leaving? Uh, uh, most probably in this case, she was... Uh, uh, seated uh, on the seat uh, by herself, there was no uh, no one that uh, could pass her to get off. Uh, so uh, there are lots of investigations uh, through the whole system, and uh, even when uh, if uh, the uh, the airplane was parked somewhere else rather than uh, at the door where they uh, they landed then uh, that's uh, another responsibility of the pilot who's, uh, who has taken the uh, airplane to the parking location. Mm-hmm. So all these uh, details uh, will be investigated uh, by Air Canada and uh, also by the authorities at the airport. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure many are assuming what sort of condition the passenger was in. Perhaps she had taken some medication to calm herself for the flight, maybe right. something to sleep, you never know. Right. But either way, still, even if she was drunk and passed out, and I'm certainly not suggesting that in any way, right. it's right. still up to the airlines to make sure everybody's off the plane, right? Yes, exactly, exactly, yeah. It is the responsibility of the uh, airplane uh, uh, administration uh, to make sure that everybody has come off unless someone was sleeping on the floor, as I said, which is unlikely. So have you ever heard of anything like this happening before? No, no. This is the first time I'm hearing and I'm surprised about the situation. Like, how can someone sleep and uh, be left alone? That's uh, that's a mystery to me, because even if uh, she's trapped and sleeping uh, very, very uh, uh, deeply, uh, at least her head should have uh, shown up. Yeah, yeah. It's not uh, usual that someone uh, would sleep and uh, just not wake up through all these noises. Uh, if you're any other airline, I'm sure you're paying attention to this and making sure that process or procedures are in place to make sure it doesn't happen. Yes, I think uh, what they will implement is uh, in every flight that uh, hostesses or someone will check the rest of the 
uh, airplane saying that nobody is sleeping, nobody. It could it, it could be even a child uh, which uh, or teenage which is uh, traveling uh, by themselves. That someone should be uh, looking after them and making sure that there's no no one was left in the airplane. Uh, even uh, as I said, some materials, some luggage, or some uh, let's say iPhone or uh, something that was left behind, so that they have to check. And even the material, not only I'm talking about uh, human being, but even uh, some items that was were left in the sure. airplane. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, usually uh, if something is lost, you, there's even lost and found where the right. cleaners will take it and throw it, and you may be able to get the re- chance to right. return it back. Yeah. Right, right. So I think they will implement a thorough uh, checking of the airplane uh, after landing, making sure that nothing was left behind. It could be that it, uh, uh, someone, uh, if uh, they want to do uh, cause the damage, they may leave uh, something which is uh, unusual behind and then make flights uh, that right. unusual thing may uh, cause some damage. You know, uh, here's a, a note from a listener. Have you thought of this? Uh, I'm suspicious of her story. She may have locked herself in the bathroom on purpose uh, and invent this for personal gain. Do you think that's possible? I guess anything's possible. Well, but... I don't want to accuse no, anybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that is a possibility, uh, but uh, uh, this, uh, the uh, investigation should uh, go through uh, through Air Canada by your, uh, by Air Canada. They should invest. They will investigate uh, every possibility. You know, they also uh, another uh, uh, person emailed. Uh, they certainly keep track of everybody who gets on a plane, the numbers, uh, their names, etc. But I guess when you leave, there's no count. There's no count to see everybody's on. Yeah, the plane. there's no count uh, yeah. that uh, people uh, go in, but uh, come out of the airplane. But when they come in, uh, yeah. of course, there is always a count. Do you think that is it possible to do a count on the way out? Although, again, you just this is one of those situations uh, you just don't see it happening. They, uh, unlikely because uh, that requires a big procedure uh, as who's who. Uh, uh, have they uh, kept their uh, boarding pass? Uh, I mean, they should. Uh, I mean, if something like this uh, should happen, they would each one give their own boarding pass uh, away, which uh, they may not do that mm. they may have uh, torn it uh, left it in the garbage right. so there are so many parts it will be a very expensive uh, procedure to implement <laughs> yeah uh joseph uremian has been with us president thermodyne engineering limited director at the ontario aerospace council talking about uh the air canada passenger that uh, fell asleep on the plane and woke up in the darkness a very bizarre story joseph thanks for the time and insight yeah, much right. appreciated Thank you. Uh, You know, it's um, uh, another person. Cameron writes, didn't Air Canada do a count at the boarding gate? Massive security blunder. Um, Yeah, you know, as as Joseph and I were discussing, going on, absolutely. They do all of that because they want to know who is going on. I mean, there's all kinds of security checks going on. But, you know, you're getting off. Everybody, oh, I'm going home. Why am I... Usually people can't wait to get off the plane. Usually the people are standing and running towards the overhead things before the things even stop rolling. You know, they can't wait to get off. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, how often would this ever happen? Uh, anyway, a- another nightmarish story. Uh, I was on a flight to Edmonton from Hamilton with a stop in Winnipeg. We were allowed to get out and stretch our legs, grab a bite to eat, etc. While on returning to the departure lounge, the found uh, only to find the plane had left. I was in a panic as I left my business carrying case, my suit jacket, other valuables, winter coat. They asked me where I was sitting. I couldn't tell them because I had moved to another seat that was empty. Long story short, I had to wait 12 hours for the next plane coming out of Hamilton. When I landed in Edmonton, I was greeted and given my belongings. Um, Apparently, unfortunately for me, the intercom system was not working in the washrooms, and thus I didn't hear the plane was departing earlier than announced. Uh, when they allowed us to disembark. And then you wonder, <laughs> that's why you get stuck on airplanes for four hours. Nobody's getting off. You're all processed. Nobody's moving. Nobody breathe. Nobody go to the washroom. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. In regard to the lady who uh, was stuck on a plane, we're hearing all kinds of wild stories and still looking for your nightmare story while on a plane. I don't know. Uh, getting stuck in an airplane uh, 
not overnight, but certainly till the middle of the night. That would be um, that'd be up there. I think my worst was um, um, my child being sick on a plane, and uh, so yeah, we were those people. And we were, you know, we were just coming back from Disney, and my daughter was um, maybe three. I don't know, maybe yeah, three years old, maybe like a toddler, and um, and she was fine all week. And then we literally got to the airport, and whoosh, she started, and uh, then conti- and we thought we had her under control, and um, then got her on the plane. And as soon as it started moving, it started, and it just continued for the whole flight. And um, uh, they did their best to keep us all accommodated and the people around us. People felt sorry for us. They were bringing us back their uh, motion sickness bags. <laughs> uh, so that was my worst. But nothing like being left on a plane when everybody has uh, checked out. Uh, feel free to weigh in on that. We would love to hear from you. Uh, all right, let's move on. Um, we heard on Friday, just before we all left for the weekend, Doug Ford's chief of staff resigned last week after backlash and allegations of nepotism from appointments Uh, from appointing his son's friends to advisor positions uh, within the government. Uh, It seems that not too many people are upset that that Dean French is out as Doug Ford's chief of staff. Uh, Many are calling it a wave of relief or a reset, a true reset for this government. Uh, To talk more about all of this, Peter Wollstonecroft is with us, Associate Professor, University of Waterloo, and he is on the line now. Peter, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome, Scott. And before we get to that, I'll tell you my Twilight Zone story. Oh, go for it. Airplane. I show up at the airport, Victoria, early in the morning, flight to Vancouver. The flight does not exist. So there's no... How does that happen? Uh, No explanation. Some kind of malfunction on the tilting, but the the woman said, Janet said, uh, look, uh, this flight is on the ticket, but it's not on our schedule. And uh, so they made arrangements, put me on another airline. But there you go. It's kind of, like I say, a Twilight Zone moment. So the flight that you were booked on didn't even exist. Did not exist. And I had that eerie feeling as I walked up, <laughs> like there was nobody there. You could think of the movie here. All of a sudden you wake up on a plane and it's deserted and you're yeah, the only one on yeah. it. Boy, it could go from there. My goodness. No, I had that desperate feeling, but uh, they solved it. Now, okay, on to Mr. French. So uh, does Doug Ford have a handle on this party? Well, that, that's a good question, and uh, I have never had much confidence. How about no confidence in his management abilities? And uh, so, uh, you know, the chief of staff is a very important position, obviously, in the modern government, and everything runs through that person to the premier or the prime minister. But the, that person should be invisible, and there have been stories appearing for Oh, eight months now, here and there, rumors. People were telling me that things were not good uh, because it was all control. And 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 it's interesting. You know, there's different ways you can look at this. Um, uh, you know, people say, well, government should be run like a business. Well, this was a top-down business kind of model, and and so MPPs were told what to do, what to do, what to do, what to think, what to think when they could speak, when they couldn't. And this is not appropriate in a political organization uh, like a party caucus and where people are... Elected. But I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say that this is necessarily good in a good business model. Well, is, it might be, is it a business model or a bad business model? It might be a bad business yeah. model, but it's a very bad political model. Yeah. And, and, and yet that's the way it seemed to be going. And, and apparently he was yelling at MPPs and, and I was having yeah. trouble with cabinet ministers. Now, I, I understand, any political scientist understands that, that in the modern parliamentary world, things are highly centralized. And, I mean, uh, Justin Trudeau runs a very tight ship, and it's very, very hard to get to him. And there are all kinds of barriers, and, and other people are making critical decisions. However, Mr. French really seems to overstep his welcome. And then, and then I, to, to, I hope I don't get sued for this, but how arrogant it is to revive lapsed positions and appoint people with whom you have a close relationship to those appointments. And and these are gravy-trained positions, mm. right? There's no yeah. other way to put it. Yeah. Um, it sounds almost similar to the Gerald Butt situation with the Prime Minister, that he had too much, many said he had too much control within the PMO's office. Absolutely. 
and and he was running things and 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 I understand you know now to put this in a historical perspective, uh, Leslie Frost, one of Ontario's greatest premiers, but was involved in all kinds of minor decisions like where the service stations were going to be located on the new 401. Right. Uh, in those days, you could run things that way, where he could say, show me the blueprint. I want to know where the washrooms are. Right. And that kind of stuff. Well, it doesn't work that way in 2019. So I understand you need somebody with a, with a good control of things and control all the information going to the premier, saying, here's a file, this is what the issue is, here's the information, read about it, read it, think about it, talk to some people, make a decision. The, the premier can't be searching around himself sure. for where you know how to design the washrooms on right. the four hundred one rest uh, stops, right? So uh, you, you need a person who's very very good at handling people, and I didn't get that sense. And then and then on the very day that the government is claiming a reset or a refresh or whatever, however they want to put yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, the cabinet and, shuffle, yeah, yeah. I mean. And on the bigger point, I mean, I think the government has a serious problem because, and I've, I've felt this for a long time, they keep on referring to themselves as the Ford government, the Ford government. So everything everything revolves around the premier, and most people in Ontario would have a hard time uh, identifying the treasurer or the attorney general or whomever, but they know who the premier is, mm-hmm. and that's why the premier gets booed at, at a very happy moment, a rare happy moment. Mm-hmm. At, a, at a Raptors parade, was a million or two million people, and he's booed... I've never heard anybody booed like that. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's not even, you know, polite cheering or whatever. It was really ugly. What was the relationship between Ford and French? How did this all come to be? They they uh, far, they go back a long way. They come from Etobicoke. They, they come out of small business. Uh, and they have uh, a long history. And, uh, and, and... And Doug Ford, frankly, doesn't distinguish between policies and the personnel. So we saw that with the o- the OPP appointment, right, uh, where he he doesn't realize that he just can't appoint his friends to positions, and he needs to have a a professional relationship across the board. And so he had a very close relationship. I'm sure he liked Doug French uh, uh, because because uh, uh, he got things done. Yeah. Um, uh, whose decision would it would had would it have been for French to step down? Is would that be was this a resignation? Is this Ford saying nope, that's it, we're out? Is it I other think, advisors? I think, I think Ford realized they had a big problem. Yeah, and and do you think he would have known about any of this? I don't think so. Doesn't, doesn't sound like he like did. I yeah, I, I think his because apparently alarm I, bells would be ringing. Yeah, I, I heard th- that he he blew up when he found out. I, I as far as we know, and I think he he felt betrayed. Because he's entrusting yeah. so much uh, to French mm-hmm. and and saying, look, don't create problems. The, the chief of staff should not be creating problems. Yeah. And and uh, well, and the same thing to- we saw with the prime minister's office. We were talking more about Gerald Butts and his actions than we were the prime minister's. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 the chief of staff. I don't care where you are. You you're not to create problems for the boss. You are to minimize problems and make sure that appropriate information gets to the premier, the prime minister, or the CEO in a timely way, in a reliable way, and 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 not and not be the big bully on the street. And when you have MPPs crying, yeah, that to me is indicative of a serious breakdown. And and as you said at the outset, I think there are a lot of happy people that they've got a new game in town. Yeah, it, we, you know, we're seeing quotes. Now, these are anonymous. Wave of relief. This is a true reset for the party. Is this a reset for the party, considering what's happened? Well, you know, they, 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 their public disapproval ratings are such that so you think they've been in office for 10 years. Yeah. And they've Ugh. had all kinds of scandals and all kinds of terrible things happening. They've been in office barely a year and and everything is revolved around Doug Ford, uh-huh. and and he has become the litmus test, and and I mean there were three large uh, public events where he was booed so resoundingly, and when I'm talking to people, even people who are diehard conservatives, they're not happy at all. This is not what they wanted, and I think you know, to go back to my my political science classes, I would say to students. One of the biggest problems you have as a newly elected government is you believe your own rhetoric. 
and and the the democratic process unfortunately simplifies things but government is much more uh, complicated than that. There are all kinds of consequences. And I never had, had a sense that they really thought about where they were going or what they were going to be doing. And that's why we've had an amazing number of retractions within, within a few days because suddenly, oh, people don't like this. People don't like this. And, and they, then they retreat. They go this way or that way. So I think one of the prime elements in, in, in thinking of Ontarians is they want people who can manage things well. Can anybody seriously say that the Ontario government has been well-managed in the last year? Uh, You know, many questioned what happened to the Conservative Party with the whole Patrick Brown thing and and how we got to where we are, Um, you know, considering... Um, you know, there's there's well-respected people like the Christine Elliotts, uh, Mulroonies, maybe whatever that are still that are still within that party, um, and and it seemed that this, as always, was the Conservatives' election to lose. It was literally handed to them by the Kathleen Wynne Liberals. Why go in this direction? Why even do this? Uh, you've got a free ride. Why create controversy? Why make this? Why create your own problems? Well, I mean, obviously Ontarians, by by a large number, wanted the Liberals to go, and it didn't really matter what the Conservatives said or did. Uh, so uh, my, my, my uh, words of advice to the Premier is, that I think you need to surround yourself with people who can give you good advice, inform you of alternatives. And politics is more than simple slogans. Uh, politics is a matter of making sound decisions. And right now it doesn't appear that you really have a plan. You have a bunch of slogans. And and, and then when the premier goes to his barbecue events, and sure, he gets 10,000 people, but you know, so what? Uh, but when he says... You know, there's a media party. He immediately is is going down this populistic rabbit hole of blaming the media for the problems that he's created. Every one of the decisions the Ontario government made was approved by the premier. And the press and the media are doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is talking about those issues and, and what's good about it, what's bad about it. But everything is started, initiated by the decision to do this or do that. And... And yet, so we, this is a, a very sad commentary where the government blames the media for its bad standing in the polls. Uh, where would the Conservatives, the Ontario Conservatives, be right now if Patrick Brown was the leader? <laughs> Good question. Because if, if you... If like we didn't, like I say we, the Conservatives didn't need this much controversy. Like I said, in the past two elections, this was a gift handed to them uh, that they've seemed to have dropped the ball here. Um, would would Ontarians rather see a Christine Elliott or someone like that in charge, maybe even a Patrick Brown, as opposed to Doug Ford? I, I think that I think Ontarians weren't weren't getting into the weeds of policies. I go back to my point about management. I think what they they were sick and tired, for many many reasons, some good, some bad, uh, of the Liberals, particularly Kathleen Wynne. They wanted a change in government. They weren't really listening to what was going on. And most of the Conservatives I know, and I know a fair number in Kitchener Waterloo, though I am, don't profess to be a Conservative, uh, but I know a lot of people, and, and I heard what they were saying is that they wanted to change, and they really weren't wedded to any particular policy uh, statement or, or orientation. The, the Patrick Brown uh, platform was so different than the Doug Ford platform. Well, let's go back to that right there, Peter, because I remember the days when Stephen Hart, and we're mixing federal and provincial politics here, but you know, uh, back to the days of Ron Ambrose uh, taking over from Stephen Harper and saying, we're looking for a kinder, gentler conservative party. You know, I remember talking to conservative uh, uh, pundits and said, like, where's the Bill Davis era? Where's, you know, where's that? Instead of following the you know, pigeonholing yourself into, you know, being painted as a right wing Donald Trump kind of guy. Um, and it sort of appeared like we were going in that direction. Patrick Brown was a bit softer on stuff, it, it appeared, uh, but then has had his own issues, you know, that, that came up and we all know what happened there. Um, but it seems that that once Doug Ford took over, it, be, it sort of went from a centrist party to a right party. And yet in the public opinion polls, the party standing hardly moved at all. You know, they were at 40%, so they ended up around 40%. Yeah. 
so to, to me, the, the message was that the, 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 a large fraction of Ontarians wanted a change, and it didn't really matter what the details were. And, and it also has to be said, there were no details in, in, the, in the Doug Ford platform. There were, there, their plan was a bunch of simple slogans. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it was actually a, a debasement of our democratic processes. One of the things that's annoyed me for a long time is, is that I, I don't know, say I say TVO or some other place, I wish that, that each of the party leaders was given half an hour, 45 minutes, to talk at length about the way they think. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important thing for me is not so much ideological or policy things. Right. I want to know the way they think, the way they evaluate evidence, the way they respond to critical questions. And our modern politics, uh, I'm, I'm sad to say, is one where it's all media-driven. You appear someplace, uh, you, some mushroom factory or some farm or wherever. You give a few slogans, you have a few signs, you have a few people in the background cheering, and then you move on, and you very, rare, very rarely get a pointed question, yeah. uh, and which tests your mettle, and, and, and do you have the depth, the understanding? And I, I've said to conservatives, what, what is it when your premier, my premier, uh, when we go through the municipal restructuring in Toronto, objects to a, a judge when, uh, uh, ruling the way that the judge did, the first one, saying, excuse me, I got elected, nobody le- voted for him, which tells me this is a man who has no idea yeah. of the role of the court's in the Canadian political system. Well, I think that's a problem. Yeah. Um, can the Ontario's P- can the Ontario PCs turn this around? Uh, many <laughs> have said they do, you know, parties will do their dirty stuff right at the beginning to, to, to uh, hopefully pat it by the end of the, of the term. How deep in are they? Is this a reset? I, I don't think that uh, if you go back to the polls before the election, that Doug Ford was was held in 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 a good light. Nothing that has happened in the last year would make people happy with him, would endear him to them, and and so it's going to be very difficult to turn the ship around. Now he 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 can talk about how strong the Ontario economy is, but he had very little to do with that. You know, he's got one percent of whatever is happening it has to do with what his government has done in the last twelve months. Uh, so it's going to be very, very difficult, and he cannot afford to have any more snafus. He can't afford to have any more, uh, we're going this way. Oh, no, we're not. We're changing our mind. We're going to go that way. Uh, so he has to take a few months. He has to disappear and and listen seriously to people who can advise him. Now, listen, I think there are some very good people in the cabinet. Uh, and I've noticed in the last 24 hours that I've seen various media appearances, and they are better communicators. I'd, I'd, I'd be, be very frank about it. Doug Ford is a terrible communicator to people who want to be thoughtful, who are thoughtful about Ontario politics. Mm. If he wants slogans, he's pretty good at that. Peter Wollstonecroft has been with us, Associate Professor, University of Waterloo, Expertise, Conservative Parties of Canada, and Canadian Provincial Politics and Elections. Peter, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. And thank you, too. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.